you guys Bibles, want you to follow along, so don't be shy. Get your hand up. We'll bring a Bible to you. There we go. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's a free gift to you. Please take this one on your way out. If you just forgot yours today, take this. Leave it on your way out. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Okay, so just to catch you up on where we've been this year, we started out the year with a five-week sermon series called Family Matters, looking at four or five different things that we as a church really felt we need to focus on this as we move forward. Okay, so we talked about prayer. We talked about evangelism. We talked about mentorship. And then last week we talked about giving. And I want to say this, except for the giving one, because it's only been a week, and so we'll give you guys kind of a grace week, the the response has been unbelievable. We've been uh, incredibly encouraged with how you guys have responded, not not to us, not to me, but to the Word of God, right? Calling us to something more, to be the church we're supposed to be here in the city. And so I want to thank you guys for the response that you've given. And then also say that if we were to add one more, if, we, if that was a six-week series and we had another one on, it, it would be this. It would be, read your Bible, okay? Um, which seems like something weird to almost talk about from the pulpit because it should be somewhat obvious, right? We're Christians, and so we read this thing. But the reality is, is that we don't read this thing all that often. For most of us, it usually sits on a shelf. Maybe you'll pick it up on Sunday, bring it here. I go through plenty of seasons, guys. If, I'm, if I take a week and I'm not preaching for a little bit, even two weeks off, then I, I, I forget. I forget, hey man, I need to be in this every single day. And I bring this up because as we go through the book of Mark, all I want to do in the front of that end of this is to encourage you to read the Bible. Read through this book as we preach through it. We're going to do our best on the front end to give you guys one to two months in advance of every passage that we'll preach on for the next two months. So this way, in advance, you can go open it up, okay, what are they going to talk about, and kind of come in already with some questions that hopefully then we can answer, okay? Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Mark is an incredible opportunity for us as a church. We spent about a year and a half preaching through the book of Romans, okay, and it was long, but it was really, really good and really rich and deep and fo- focused on a lot of theology and things that were great. It was fantastic. Mark is a little bit different. We're still going to be over a year in it, but it's narrative, it's story, it's rich, and everything that we'll look at directly relates to the life of Jesus Christ. The life of Je- the, okay, the guy who is the central piece to everything we believe. This is what we get a look at. It's this intentional three years of his life. And that's what we get in the book of Mark. And so I encourage you, read your Bibles, get into it. And so Mark 1 through 11 is the intro for us today. Okay. So some background on the book of Mark. It was written by Mark, who you see throughout the New Testament. Good friends with Paul, with Barnabas, does a bunch of missionary stuff uh, early on in the early church. Has huge influence in the early church. It's that guy. Okay. What we believe mostly that we figured out up to this point about this gospel is that he was probably directly writing from words of Peter along with some other eyewitnesses that were around at that day. So Peter, the apostle who was just super, super close with Jesus, he is almost telling Paul, hey, write this. This is what he said. This is what he said. This is what he said. It's an eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. The dates on it we have between 65 and 70 A.D., which puts us about 30 to 35 years after the life of Christ. So I want you to think about that, because if, if, and if you're here, maybe this is just so you're a skeptic, and you're like, well, you know what, I, I'd like to believe the Bible, I'd like to believe in this stuff, but how can you trust it? Because you often hear the argument that everything that was written in this thing was written hundreds of years later. What we have here was written 30 to 35 years after the death, or sorry, after well, the death and the subsequent resurrection of Jesus Christ. To put that in context for us, I went back to 
1980 to 1985, that kind of five-year gap. Uh, let, raise your hand if you were alive in 1980 to 1985. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Okay, despite, so some of you won't remember any of this, okay? I was born between 1980 and 1985, so obviously I remember a ton of it at that age. Uh, but I went back and looked at some things. Here's some stuff that happened in those years. Uh, Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980, okay? which, which we all know about, right? And we can kind of give you some details about it. Right? We all know about Mount St. Helens. John Lennon was killed in these five years. Right? That's kind of a big deal. The whole world knew about that. Uh, this one was huge. Empire Strikes Back came out. Wow. Yeah. Preach. Um, the Internet was created between 1980 and 1985. Okay? Pretty important thing. This are just some random ones that I thought were pretty interesting. Bacon was only $1.65 a pound. Praise Jesus. What's happened to us? Okay. The average cost for a house was $68,000. For a house, 68 grand. The average, car, average cost for a car, who just wants to guess? Average cost for a car. 7000 Whoever did that, way to go. You get a free car. Just kidding. Um, and then, uh, and so those really have nothing to do with my point, but I'm saying that was just pretty crazy. Bacon, $1.65, fantastic. <laughs> my point is this. We look back at these events, and there's probably not even one of you, and listen, a lot of you weren't even alive, right? But you know, you know something about Mount St. Helens, right? Okay, there's this huge eruption. You might not know there was 57 deaths. You just know a bunch of people died. But you know some things about that event. You remember, okay, John Lennon, yeah, okay, he was a member of the Beatles. It was a big deal when he died. But you remember some of these moments from history in little pieces. And so, okay, clearly, if we are that detached from it, and yet we still know something, that should give credibility then to the fact that these were eyewitnesses who lived the life. Because let me tell you this. If you, had a rel- if you lived in Washington, and you were affected or lost a family member because of the eruption of Mount St. Helens, I guarantee you remember every single moment. There's not a thing you forget about that time. If, you were, if you're Paul McCartney, you know everything about when John Lennon was killed. You knew every intimate detail, what he was doing leading up to it, what he did after. The conversations, the last talk that you had, you remember these things because they're so important. I talk to my parents all the time. We just had our first son about six months ago, and so always baby stories start coming up, right? And so my mom and my dad, they start telling me, yeah, when you were one, right, or your birth story was this. When you were five, you did this. When you were six, you did this. When you were seven, you did this, because I was that important to them. And so they remembered everything, specific things I would say on and on and on. And so what you have here is you have Peter, you have Mark, you have this cloud of witnesses that have come together to say, listen, we were there. We saw this, we lived this, and then we told people this for 30 straight years, and then we wrote it down. If you're here and you're thinking, I mean, you came in, you're like, well, I just don't know about the Bible. Listen, do some research, because I used to be in the same place. Before I became a Christian in college, I mean, I thought thought the Bible was just kind of crazy. It's a bunch of fairy tales, a bunch of myths. You get into this thing, you find out, man, these are just a bunch of guys who saw some incredible things happen, and then they wrote them down. And the gaps are far less than everyone expects. Okay? So hopefully, again, this gives some credibility to where we're going to, because uh, today and throughout this entire book, you say, this is the Word of God. This is actually what Jesus said. And so as we go through this book over the next year, you're going to hear Jesus say some pretty tough things. And it wasn't just some random guy who decided, you know what, I wanted Jesus to say this, so I wrote it down. It was guys who heard him say something. It was profound. As led by the Holy Spirit, they wrote it down for us to learn, grow, 
and be transformed by today. Okay? And that's the posture we have to take, especially when we, we get into a narrative, we sit in the life of Christ, this stuff actually really happens and is transforming lives all over the world today. Okay? So that's what we get as we start the book of Mark. Let's do it. Verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This word gospel simply means good news. You've probably heard that before if you've been in church. Gospel just simply means good news. And so this is the start of Mark's testimony of the good news of Christ coming and his work on the earth. But notice what he does. He doesn't say that it only begins at year 30 of Jesus' life. But rather, he quotes Malachi and he quotes Isaiah here to say, no, 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 this story goes back. Right? The, the, the gospel story is much bigger than just three years of Christ's life. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It goes all the way back beyond Malachi and Isaiah, all the way back to the book of Genesis as God created and we fell. Because here's the truth. Good news is only good news in an environment where there's a lack. Hear me. Good news is only good news if it's in a context and environment where there is lack. Let me tell you. Um, for about 12 days now, my wife and my son have been away in South Africa. Okay? And so they're off, they're visiting family, and I've just been here doing different things. Now, that right there is just news, right? I just told you a fact. They've been gone for 12 days, they're in South Africa visiting family, and I'm here. Now, if I tell you, yeah, you know, it's been, it's been fantastic. I really enjoy being by myself. The house is just so much calmer. I get much better sleep. And then I tell you they're coming back Tuesday. That's not all that good news. In fact, that would probably be bad news for me, right? If I just kept going, well, you know what? I, it's, I like them. They're nice. But I like doing my own thing. Then, then, then coming back Tuesday is bad news. But if I told you the truth, which is for 12 days, every single night I go to bed looking at pictures and videos of my son and wife, then you begin to think, man, Tuesday, that's, gonna, that's good news that they're coming back so soon. If I began to tell you that I've had this longing and this craving to see them and to talk to them and to play with Finley and to do this and do that, if I told you all this and poured this out to you, and then I said, guess what? They're coming back Tuesday. You're going to say, man, that is fantastic news. You will be reunited with them once again. Your longings will be fulfilled. That's good news. Good news only exists in an environment where there's lack. And so what we have from Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to Mark chapter 1 is a whole lot of lack and a whole lot of longing. When's he coming? When is all of these promises from the Old Testament finally going to be here? This Messiah that you keep telling us about, all the prophets, God, you keep saying, man, you're coming, you're coming. When is this going to happen? We need you. We long for you. We cannot do this. We tried to earn salvation. It did not work. What are we to do? Then they hear, He's here. He's arrived. And He's about to kick the sucker off. That is good news. That is fantastic news for those who would long for the Messiah, long for Jesus. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a whole lot throughout this passage, the first 11 verses of the book of Mark, we're going to see a lot of moments of really, really good.
good news. And that's going to lead us to baptism. Where we're going to baptize people, we're going to see good news exemplified in the lives of people who come up here and get done. Okay. And so let's keep going. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So we get John the Baptist. And he comes on the scene, comes on the, scene the fulfillment of Malachi, and the fulfillment of Isaiah, this guy who would come and say, there's someone better than me who's going to be here real soon. Okay. So John the Baptist comes on. We're going to talk about him in the next verse, so let's just kind of move past him for just a moment. And let's talk about what he's proclaiming, a baptism for the repentance of sin. Okay, this is fantastic news. This is gospel. This is good news. You see, what he's proclaiming to the world is, okay, you know for years and years and years, you were trying to earn it, right? You, you were going through every ritual, everything you could do so that you could be forgiven. Now I'm telling you, there's something new brewing. There's something new starting. Someone's about to be here who's going to come, who's going to live this life, who's going to die the death that you deserve. Okay, he's going to do all that. Come and be baptized into that family. Come and proclaim that name. Forgiveness of sins was finally a reality without all the ritual, without all the, every single year and other sacrifice. This was a new thing that God was doing. This was good news for the people who long awaited the coming Messiah. The second piece of good news in this passage, in this little part here. Notice, everyone came. The good news is that all are welcome. This was revolutionary, what he's doing here. Because he's saying, okay, listen, you're rich, you're poor, right? You're urban, you're rural, you're high, you're low, you're this ethnicity, you're that ethnicity, you're this gender, you're that gender. Whatever you are, whoever you are, all are welcome. Come and be baptized into God's family. This was revolutionary. This was good news because people were no longer, no longer kept out. Rather, they were invited in. Now notice, you're gonna, hopefully you're already starting to pick up the trend. The good news that was true for the people of God here in year 30 A.D. is still good news for us today. That all are welcome, regardless of your background, regardless of your past, regardless of any sin you think might have ruled you out, regardless of how you feel today. The reality is you are invited in. Grace, forgiveness, the gospel is for you. It's a revolutionary idea that John begins to foreshadow as we see in the early churches. Paul talks about in his letters, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. All are invited into the family of God. This is good news. This is really good news for us. Verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. Right? So this dude was just straight up Flagstaff. Okay? I mean, like, this is the guy, this is like 18 people you passed on the way here. Okay? I mean, this should relate at every level for us. We're like, okay, he's one of us. Right? Because how, I mean, yeah, how many of you guys ate locusts this morning? Everyone, right? <laughs> so John the Baptist, he always gets this rap, right? Like, man, that John, he was crazy, okay? 
And you think about it, he's wearing camel's hair. Have you ever seen a camel? Not a lot of hair, right? That dude was scantily clad. You know what I'm saying? Not wearing an abundance of stuff, eating stuff off the ground, that, that whole thing. So he, gets, he always gets this kind of, man, that dude was just crazy. Jesus later goes on to call him the greatest man that's ever lived. This guy that, I mean, honestly, if, if I saw him on the street and he's standing by like a little baptismal and saying, let's do it. I'm like, dude, you are crazy, bro. Not a ch- What's that? What is that? Is that vodka? What's, I mean, what, what's in there? But what we look at is this guy that Jesus calls the greatest man that's ever lived. John the Baptist proclaiming this repentance. So who was this guy? We know that he was Elizabeth's son. Okay, so he was Jesus' cousin. It's kind of interesting to think about, right? Like, did they hang out together? You know, did they plan this out? They're like, hey, let's, let's give it 30 years, and then I'm going to go out there, I'll start doing my thing, and then you show up. We're going to blow everybody away. I mean, did, did they play games? I mean, what was, what was their childhood like? We, we looked at, during our Advent series, right, that Jesus, he goes back to Jerusalem at age 12, or, you know, with the family, and then all of a sudden the family leaves, and he's still there. And then the, the family's trying to find out where he is. I wonder if they ask, hey, hey, John, have you seen Jesus? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. He's probably at the temple. I mean, they, what was their relationship like? We don't know. We can ask him in heaven, I guess. But these guys were close. The greatest man that's ever lived. Who else was this guy? Okay. Um, here, here's another little nugget for you. Okay. The best way to see how, something, how great something else is, is to compare it to something else. Okay? Is to compare it to something else. And so you say, okay, well, this, this looks really good, but, but kind of in a vacuum, you're not really sure. But in comparison to something else, you're like, okay, now we can truly see it in its context. Now we can truly, so, you know, you think about, uh, just even, so we go back to football this year. You're like, okay, the Patriots beat everyone else, right? So they are the best team. Okay, hard to say. But in comparison to everyone else, listen, they won. That was all it was. But if you just put the Patriots on an island and you said, hey, why don't you guys play some football, you'd have no idea. You're like, ah, there's a bunch of guys playing football on an island. <laughs> it's in comparison that we can truly see how great something is. And so here's, here's what's interesting to me, is that at the start of this gospel, the start of the first gospel that we have, Matthew, Luke, and John, I'll come after this one, Okay. First gospel that we have, John puts, Mark puts John at the forefront before he really even gets into this Jesus guy. Before he even starts talking about Jesus, and this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, he starts with this guy Mark. And I begin to ask the question, why? And I think it's this precept. I think it's this concept that when you compare things, that's when you can truly see how, something great, how great something really is. And so what you see here is that in every possible way, John the Baptist lived a life that in everything you would look to him and say, he is greater. That there was no part of John that ever wanted to exalt any part of himself. So he made himself low. He lived out in the wilderness. He wore a camel. Because in everything, my, my thought is, is he just wanted God to just seem that much greater. For the one that he would come and baptize, or that he would baptize, would seem even greater than he ever was. See, the man that Jesus calls the greatest man that's ever lived, in everything he could possibly do, proclaimed that Jesus was the greatest thing that's ever happened. The greatest man to ever live, 
the greatest story to ever be told. See, John is a key factor because I think what he does for us is he just shows us the greatness of Jesus. Again, at the start of this gospel, as we look at this life, as we study this over the next year, that we would realize that the life that we're studying is not just any life. It's the life of God in the flesh. Love came down, the perfect man. That in every possible way was exalted far above anything we could ever imagine. Think of the best person you know. Jesus topped it above and beyond. Okay. That's the man who will teach us over the next year through his words that he shared with his people. And again, I think that's just very important for us. Verse 7. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Have I baptized you with water? Or I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so not only does his life, but his words proclaim this reality, this humility, this this guy's amazing. This guy's unbelievable. You think I'm great, wait till you see him. I long, guys, I long, and I hope you too, I long to operate in that type of humility. I just don't. This morning, I, and I went and picked up Nate, and, <laughs> and I, was just, I was just angry about some stuff. I mean, just really angry. And I told him, I said, dude, I'm just, he's like, how are you doing? I said, I'm kind of pissed off. And I'm sorry for using the P word, but I was just, I was very upset. Okay. And I texted Gary Fox somewhere here too yesterday. I said, hey, I'm really, I'm really frustrated and upset about some stuff right now. I need you to pray for me. I don't know if it's my pride or what it is. Right? And he writes back, he goes, well, it's probably your pride. <laughs> you just need to figure out what type of pride is it. Is there any righteousness in it, that type of thing? You know? I long to be more humble. Because when I try and be proud, and, I, and listen, when all of us, we come in here, we try and put on a face. You come, you try and be super Christian here on Sunday for an hour and a half. Or when someone asks you, hey man, how's your week going? How are you doing with this sin? How are you doing with that? How's evangelism going? How's mentorship? How's prayer? How's giving? And then you either lie or you distort, I mean, whatever. It, it does nothing. It does nothing but bring the name of Jesus Christ down. Because when we're all walking around like we're just perfect and fine and we need not Jesus, He doesn't seem that great. The news isn't all that good. But I think if we, as a church and as individuals, if I really began to acknowledge the fact that I'm pretty messed up, that I got a lot of junk in here. My mind goes places it should not go. I get angry. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do but I know that in the midst of that, as I acknowledge that, not just rest and sit in that, but as I acknowledge it, repent of that, and move to Christ, guess what? He just looks bigger, he looks greater, he gets more exaltation and glory. And that is our job, friends. That's our job, is to make Jesus look really, really good. And the reality is, is as you do that, you'll experience joy, you'll experience peace, you'll experience all the things that you actually desire but you'll get to experience it in the right way, in the way that's actually life-giving. And so let, let, let's set aside some of this pride. Let's set aside some of this, well, I've got this figured out, and let the Bible teach us. Let the Bible shape us. Let this year allow us to become different than we... I love what, 
uh, Anthony said at the start here. That his hope is that we would all leave today and we'd be at least one step closer to Christ. Perfect. That's my hope. And so that by the time we get to the end of this series, we're, we're 60 steps closer to Christ. And we experience more joy, more peace, more hope, more love, more kindness, more fruit of the Spirit, more mission, more evangelism, more prayer. And that we would see the glory of the Lord shine down in this place. Okay. But, it, but if we come from a place of pride, it's, it's not going to happen. Find that place of humility. Let, let John be an example for us. Because we desire to exalt Christ in this place. Amen? Okay. It's in comparison that we see how great something is. I told you my wife's been gone, and so for a while there, when we had Finn and he was really young, in the first few months, he was getting up all the time, right? Needed feed, he just wanted to be held, whatever it was. And uh, I got to the point where I was becoming a pretty significant snoring machine. Like, it was getting brutal, right? Uh, I I couldn't hear it because I was sound asleep but Verdi would record it, right? And that thing was thunderous, okay? Thunderous. Woke up the dog, you know what I mean? That type of thing. And so she'd make me go sleep in the other room some nights because she had to wake up, feed the baby, and she's just the whole time fuming because I sound like a volcano, okay? And so I'd go and sleep in the other room. And, uh, and recently, and especially now that I have this whole king-size bed to myself, I compare the mattress <laughs> from the guest room to the mattress in our bedroom, okay? And I did not know how good I had it, okay? The mattress in the bedroom is just significantly better than the mattress in the guest room. And until I've spent time in the guest room, I don't know how great the master bedroom is. And until you've allowed yourself to sit in the reality of your brokenness, you'll never understand how good grace is. It's not good news for you if you're a really great person. The gospel is good news for, the, for those of us who know that we're just kind of messed up. Yeah, we do good stuff. I mean, it's not like we're totally, we can't do anything good. I mean, we make some good decisions and we're on the whole probably pretty morally okay. But we get down deep inside it. The more you can acknowledge and live in the reality that you need Jesus, the more you can live in the reality of your brokenness and sin, the greater, I guarantee it, you will experience the beauty of grace and the beauty of your relationship with God. And listen, if we don't get that, there's no point in preaching the next 50-something weeks. Because we're just going to keep being put up against Scripture and we're going to go the other way every time instead of allowing the Scripture to transform us and renew our minds. Amen? Right? That's good news for us today. I know it doesn't sound like it always, but it really, really is. Second, or, uh, yeah, second to last part of good news in this passage. John baptized with water, and that's what we'll do today. But Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This, this is really good news, guys. And I want you to take the same picture. What's going to happen? Are people going to come forward? And we're going to sit them down in this, in this horse trough, and we're going to dunk them under. And they're going to be fully immersed in this water. That every single part of them is being impacted and affected by the water that surrounds them. Every single aspect of their body now submerged and placed inside of this water. This is the same vision that we get for the Holy Spirit. So, so John's like, listen, I'm going to baptize you with water. You're going to get in there, you're going to get wet, it's that whole deal, you'll feel that. But this guy's coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You will be immersed 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, it says in Timothy, is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline. This is who you are. Christian, if you're here, that is your reality. Your reality is not just that, okay, you're not your old self. You haven't just been forgiven. You've been equipped with the power of God that comes through the immersion of the Holy Spirit that surrounds and impacts every single aspect of your life. 2 Corinthians 5, right? That the old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation because of the power and the immersion of the Holy Spirit as you put faith in Him. Tremendous. See, what's happening here is when you look at John and where he's baptizing, this has a tremendous significance. See, he's baptizing in the River Jordan, in the wilderness, and all of these people are coming to this place. Now, if you were a Jew, and you're going back to the River Jordan, and you cross through the wilderness, believe me, getting baptized in this moment has tremendous implication for your life and for your history. Because if you go back to the book of Exodus, the book of Joshua, what you see is the people of God traveling out of Egypt through the wilderness and to the Jordan River. And it's when they get in and cross the Jordan River that they enter into the promised land. The thing that God has said, listen, I'm going to do this for you. This is your promised land. You will walk in the promise that God has given years and years back. And so imagine these people, this scene, all these people from all over the place, all these people knowing full well the history of the Jordan River and the wilderness, walking through the wilderness, getting back to the Jordan River and being dunked in this river to symbolize a new thing. The fulfillment of the promise of every Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Christ and the Messiah that's ever been written. A new covenant. No longer about rule, regulation, and ritual, but about grace, love, and forgiveness. This new thing that they return to. And now today as we do baptism, it's the same thing. That for many, listen, you might be coming here and you came here and you were, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this whole Jesus thing. Or you're on the fence. You've been coming to church for a while now. You've been here week after week after week after week and you keep hearing the gospel over and over and over again and you're just like, I don't know yet. You're invited to the baptismal this morning. You're invited to the water. Everyone's welcome. Come and receive the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that comes through your belief and then express that through this thing that we still do called baptism. Okay. The last piece of good news here in verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up from the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That verse 11, what good news. Jesus comes up out of the water and a voice from heaven, that was probably God the Father, just guess, saying, My Son, with you I am well pleased. And I tell you this, hear me, when we go to Jesus, that same statement, that exact same statement, although maybe we don't hear it audibly, I guarantee you is echoed every, every single one of you. Son, daughter, thank you for trusting me. 
in you I am well pleased because of Jesus. Because what Jesus would do, and we're going to look at it over the next year, he would come up out of this moment, leave the water, after this incredible kind of sending moment for himself, he would go and he would live this life perfectly. Already doing it for the first 30 years, this last three when stuff really got difficult, when temptation came every way, when the desire to turn and run and go the other direction came his way, he decided, no, I'm going to be faithful to the will of God. Perfectly righteous. He goes to the cross and dies the death that, listen, you and I deserve to die. We deserve to be up on that cross and said, He goes. And in His sacrifice, because He's perfect, now in faith in Him, God will look down on all His children who confess His name and say, Man, in you I am well pleased. You're perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. But because of Jesus, because of what my son's done, listen, with you I am well, well pleased. And so if you're here this morning, and if, and if you love Jesus, okay, and for whatever reason, you've been battling just some depression, you've been battling sadness, you've been battling shame, you've been battling guilt, you've been battling sin, you've been the news, the good news for you today is that in the midst of that battle, you have a Savior, you have a God who looks upon you and says, with you I am well pleased. Because of Jesus. This is good news. This is the gospel story. This is what we celebrate today. This is what the people who will come forward and get baptized are saying to the world. I believe in that story. That story has shaped my life. That story has changed me. And I know that when I come up out of the water, the only thing that I need here is that with you I am well pleased. Regardless of past, regardless of background, regardless of where you come from or what you've done, with you I am well pleased. That is very good news. Amen? It's very good news for us. And so what we're going to do, I mean, application for us is really easy today. If you have not been baptized and you love Jesus Christ, you should get baptized today. It's that, it's that simple. We've talked about this every time we've announced it, but if you read the New Testament, people got saved, and then they got baptized. This moment doesn't save you. Belief in Jesus Christ does. All this is, is an outward representation of an inward reality. That God has come into your life. He has changed you. He has transformed you. And when He looks down upon you, He is pleased because He sees His Son. So when you go under the water, the representation is you go in as one man, but you come out as another. That's as simple as this is. And you do it proclaiming to the people here, to our church, and to the world, listen, I, I'm His, and He is mine. I believe the Gospel story. I understand that I need Him. I don't live in pride. I don't live in, I've got this covered. I live in the reality that I need Jesus. I needed something to save me. He's the answer. That's what this is. And so if you love Christ, if you're making that testimony today, and that's whether or not you came in here a believer or not a believer. You came in here a skeptic. Maybe you were way, you're like, I hate God, and right now you love God. Come and get baptized. We've got a couple people I know signed up, but listen, we've got 
towels over here, right? So we're set up with towels. We have extra pairs of shorts, okay? So you can't use, I don't want to get my jeans dirty excuse. We've got those. That's all we've got. But we've got those two things, and, uh, and that should be enough. That should be enough that if you have not been baptized but you love Jesus today, you should run up front and we're going to dunk you and we're going to celebrate as a family because if you have not been here for this service, listen, there is nothing that we rejoice about more than the testimony of those who testify to the reality of God's work in their life. It's a phenomenal moment. Last thing I'll say is that um, if you were baptized as a baby, and I've had a couple conversations with people this week about this, and I just want to say it publicly. If you were baptized as a baby, we practice believer's baptism here. What that means is, is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That confession, that belief, then moved into baptism. And so if you were baptized as an infant, or if you were baptized at an age where you weren't making that decision based on anything of faith, we would encourage you to be baptized again. And then use this moment the same way it seems Christ uses this moment to inaugurate a new thing. Because Jesus goes on and lives the greatest three years that we have documented in the history of the world. Changing every life he comes into God, teaching wisdom and life, changing and transforming more than we'll ever understand. And then going to the cross for the sins of all mankind. And so again, if you have not been baptized, I know I keep saying, but if you have not been baptized, there is no reason why today is not that day for you. Regardless of where, who you came in as, leave as a lover and follower of Jesus Christ who has proclaimed to the world, I am His and He is mine. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You. God, thank you so much that your mercy and your grace has come. God, I feel scattered this morning just because of all the different emotions and the different memories and thoughts that are running through my mind and heart right now about, about the moment that just finally clicked for me. God, it took me 18 years to figure it out. But God, I cherish the reality of what you instilled in me in those 18 years to show me my need for you. God, make us a needy people. God, I know our world, it's tough, God. It's really tough because our world wants us to always be strong. Always have it all together. But I just don't. And so God, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Thank you that you gave us such a beautiful picture as baptism to be something that the church can just see and rejoice and celebrate along with you and your angels. God, thank you that what we talk about, what we do in this moment, it has nothing to do with, it has everything to do with your grace and your forgiveness. That you've made us new people. And so God, I pray for any and all here today that are confessing Christ this morning whether they're a new believer, been a believer for 25 years, but have not made this proclamation, Lord, would you stir in their heart to do so? And then, Lord, would it not just be about this moment, would it be about the rest of their lives? God, would you use this moment as a catapult unto ministry, a catapult unto an understanding of the depths of your grace and your mercy and the hope that you instill in the midst of every storm of life? 
I just want to preach more because I love you and I just ask God that you do incredible things with us and through us this morning. Holy Spirit, we need you. Immerse us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.